Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 35 through 45. It is also in your um, My Custom Church app. We have several folks that are uh, sick, and I'd like you to remember all of them in prayer. Um, several people missing that can't be here. It's a tough time out there. I'll be honest with you, we've been, I've been struggling with you know, what to do um, because not only is there a surge now, uh, and COVID, but they're expecting it to, to rise even more because of the holidays and people moving around. Um, and we certainly aren't scared of anything per se, but I feel a responsibility to the community to be a leader. And the community is not just you in these pews, but I feel a responsibility to the community to be a leader uh, and to do the right thing for our folks and for folks around us. And so it's a struggle. It's a struggle. I, I, I've talked, I talked to a lot of other pastors uh, over the course of... Uh, of this whole mess. And the funny thing is, is I've spoken to a lot of older pastors. You know, those older guys, I've been through it all. <laughs> no, you ain't pal. <laughs> Got one now you ain't been through. <laughs> what about this one? You know, unless you live through the bubonic plague and you're not old enough for that, you might be older than dirt, but you ain't that old. Uh, and so it was interesting how we all had that in common. We had young pastors and old pastors all gathered in the same room and all going through the same deal together never having been here before. But God goes before us. Amen. And so I also know that, and to be quite honest with you, I can't really make a bad decision because any decision made out of love will be okay. God will be okay. But at the same time, it's not sometimes so much the people in the pews that I'm concerned about leading. It's the people around us that watch us. You know, are we... Are we doing that which is good for our people? Are we doing that which is good for them? These are the things that we labor over. I don't have a decision in my mind at this moment, so I can't say yay or nay exactly how we're going to treat the next few weeks, but just know this, we're laboring over it, and I've got several folks laboring together with us in prayer that we do whatever God would have us to do. Um, I'm certain that a lot of you have opinions, and if you want to share them, that's great. It's Honestly, I'm still going to take my direction from God. It'll be okay. But uh, I certainly don't mind your opinions. If you have one, uh, you know, uh, you're part of this church. If you go here and you're in this seat right now, then you're part of this church. And you certainly, I'm sure you certainly have feelings about these things. Um, and I'm sure you also, I'm hoping that you're thinking about what things look like not only for you, and that's what today's really about. It's not just about you. But what about how we serve others? We're going to look at Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look at this discourse that Jesus had with his disciples. And we're going to look at the tone in which Jesus speaks and what he says about his purpose. And then we're going to talk about what it means to be a servant. So the title of this morning's message is The Servant. Jesus. Now, I wrote something in my notes, and Brother Brian says, are we playing a video clip this morning? <laughs> to which I said, no. Because <laughs> I wrote in my notes, has anybody ever seen the movie Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby? If you ain't first, you're last. Right? 
Well, part of the reason that I'm doing the message and I titled it this way, The Servant Jesus, is there's a scene. There's a scene in that movie in which they're all sitting at dinner and they're getting ready to say grace. And it is a sacrilegious, awful scene that I hope that you do not go out and watch because I mentioned it. Because it is horrible. But in that scene, Ricky Bobby says, dear little baby Jesus, laying in a manger. But his father-in-law says, he was a man. He says, well, I like my Jesus, a little baby in a manger. And then Cal Naughton, his friend, says, well, I like to think of my Jesus as like a, like a, a ninja warrior. And so there's this whole bantering back and forth on what they think Jesus ought to look like and what their Jesus looks like. But what we ought to be concerned about with this morning is what does the biblical Jesus, who is he? What does he look like? And are we reflecting, are we reflecting that Jesus in our lives? This church is pouring out its heart. We're doing some great things. But are you? I'm not concerned what others are doing. My challenge is to your heart and to you. And are we doing all we can? Because you know what sometimes stops us from being great? Being good. There's a book out by a guy named, his name was Jim Collins. Uh, and the book was called Good to Great. And it's the problem with some companies is that they can't be great because they're good. They can't get past being good to be great because sometimes you may be doing things good, but it doesn't mean you're doing them to the best that you can be. And they followed several leaders. One of them was the leader of Scott, the Scott Tissue Company. One was the leader of Walgreens um, and some others. And they followed these leaders that took their companies from good to great because those leaders were willing to say, hey, we might be doing this good, but we can sure do it a lot better. And we're going to tear down even what looks good so that we could be great. And sometimes I think what hinders me at being a great pastor is trying to be a good pastor. So I'll tell you that me personally, this hits me. And that I, I drove a lot of miles on this passage. I chewed on it a long while. We'd stop sometimes and I'd just read it again. I'd just read it, think about it, and then I would drive and say, I was like, what are you thinking about over there? You solving the world's problems? That's what she asked me. You solving the world's problems? Yep. One verse at a time. But this, this verse challenged my heart. And so I want us to look at this passage together. Would you stand to your feet with me? Mark chapter 10. We're going to read verses 35 through 45. And my challenge for you today is to see the Jesus of this passage of who he says he is and what he came to do. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 35, it says this, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now think about that. For Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It already sounds starting off bad to me. 
And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism of which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those of whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to them, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise, exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you would be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, Lord, to be with us this day. Lord, we pray that your word will come alive before us, Lord, and feed our hearts. We know that if we speak your word, it will not return void. So, Father, we trust you today. And we ask you, Lord, to bless your word. Bless the reading of it, the preaching of it. And, Father, I pray that our hearts be open. We pray this, Lord, in the name of your beautiful Son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Now, by the way, it's interesting when you start looking at the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered what they call synoptic Gospels. In other words, about 70% of the material found in each one of those Gospels are, uh, they coincide with each other, right? About 70% of the material are the same through those Gospels, just told from a different lens. Now, most theologians think that the book of Mark was the first one written. It is the most simplistic of the Gospels. It's written uh, in a Kaone Greek, which is a very common Greek Right, So if you were talking about in our terms today, instead of being written uh, in an uh, educated uh, college type of English, uh, it'd be written more like in, you know, uh, redneckery, right, English, right, common, common layman talk English. Um, I, once, I once was considering taking a Spanish class. And down in Northern Virginia, they had Spanish. They had the formal Spanish class, but then they actually had a class called Construction Spanish. Well, I already knew half of those words. I just couldn't repeat them. Anybody been on a construction site knows what, uh, there's a several words that people get to know very well. But it was Construction Spanish, and it was those, that, that language you need to know to be able just to go on a job and be able to talk with a Spanish-speaking person in a, you know, and be able to converse with them over construction type of things. And so it was construction Spanish. And so that's kind of what Mark was written in, is a very common language. Now, Mark is also considered to be the John Mark, you know, the same John Mark uh, whose mother was, name was Mary and owned a house there in Jerusalem. Uh, that's the house that Peter went to after he had been in prison and let go. Uh, he had went to that house. It's also the same John Mark that traveled with Paul and Barnabas, uh, who actually turned around and went back home. And Paul and Barnabas actually ended up in a, you know, in a disagreement over the deal. But it is reported through church history that Mark and Peter became very close. In First Peter chapter five, uh, I think it's First Peter five, 
Uh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, I believe that Peter refers to Mark as his son Mark. And so the church history kind of uh, records that, that it was Mark who traveled with Peter that kind of wrote down the memoir, so to speak, as Peter told him about the interactions with Christ and what happened uh, while he was traveling with him. And, and, and Mark put that to paper and was the earliest of the recorded Gospels. And then Matthew and Luke would have been written to expound upon that in more detail because Mark has the least amount of detail. Out of all the Gospels, the Mark, Matthew and Luke have a lot of discourses like, uh, like um, Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plain in Luke where we don't see that in Mark. It's just about the actions of Jesus. Now Matthew wrote his Gospel with the theme of, of Jesus being the King of the Jews and fulfilling the prophecy of being the Messiah. So Matthew was written mainly to Jews. Mark is written with a focus to a wide audience, and the real theme of Mark is showing Jesus as a suffering servant. That's the theme of Mark. When you look to the theme of Mark, it's a suffering servant. In Luke, written by the physician Luke, his focus was on the fact that Jesus was a Savior for all people. Luke, I mean, uh, yeah, Luke the physician not being a Jew... His focus was that Jesus came to be a Savior for all people, not just the Jews. And of course, John was written by the disciple John, and his focus on his gospel was making the claim and proving the fact that, that Jesus was God in the flesh and that He was the deity. And so it's important to kind of understand how the gospels are laid out. With that being said, we now look at this passage in Mark that Mark is writing again to focus uh, and that with that focus that's showing that Jesus came to be a servant. And in this time that we celebrate the coming of Christ, a lot of times we, we see the manger scenes and all that, and I have no problem with that. And, and, and matter of fact, the, the story alone of Christ coming just on that one night alone, of how the angels heralded, heralded his coming out to the shepherds that were out in the field. That part of the story is just absolutely wonderful and beautiful. There's so many facets of the story of the coming of Christ in his birth that are absolutely wonderful and beautiful to the point that you're saying, okay, then why are you preaching this? Because listen, if all we ever stop is at his coming and his birth and the fact that he came and not see why he came, then we have totally missed the mark. And I don't want to miss the mark today because I think it's very important that as we, as we take this time to celebrate his birth. Now, by the way, I, this is me, let's just make sure we're honest and clear. We don't know exactly when he was born. We don't know what his birthday is. Matter of fact, sometimes when I look at it and even think that he wouldn't even say that word when it comes to Christ, just kind of really uh, just... I don't know, it, it, it gives me turmoil inside. Why? Because the Bible is very clear that Jesus is and was and is to come. He always was, He always will be, and He, you know, and he is forevermore. Amen? Because He is the part of the, the, the Godhead, the, 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 the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they always have existed. And so there is no beginning and there will be no end. So a birthday kind of marks a beginning of a life. And the fact is that Jesus always was. 
And in John chapter 1, he makes that clear. That in the beginning, that he was. They would go on to say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, it starts off in the beginning was the word and, and the word was God. The word was with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus has always been. This is just a time that we mark his descension down to earth. And the fact that he would do that is also mind-blowing. It's to think that he would come down from glory, and we'll get to that part in just a minute. So now let's go back to this passage of Scripture that we started on. So here comes James and John, and what they're really doing is they're going to show their ignorance about what is about ready to happen. Jesus has been talking about establishing his kingdom. Now, Jesus knows what's about to happen because he's Jesus, but his disciples have clearly not really been listening and understanding what's going to happen and how Jesus is going to suffer and how establishing his kingdom is not about a political party. Are you listening, folks? It's not about a political party. It's about establishing his kingdom on earth in the hearts and minds of believers and knowing that that kingdom will live forevermore. It's not about the coming of Jesus' kingdom. His kingdom is already here and it lives in the lives and the hearts of all those who call him Lord. I am a part of his kingdom. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven here even as I stand on earth that one day I will give up this body and I will go to that forever place that he's prepared for us one day and I look forward to that. But even while I am here, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and his kingdom is established here because Jesus lives. Amen. And so it's not about what his kingdom will be. His kingdom is already here. And I don't care. Listen, there ain't no election that can change that. Do you hear me? It was never about the coming of some kind of political party that is going to make the mark on the earth. What is going to make the mark on the earth is when we live with Jesus in our heart and we come and we do what Jesus did, which is serve the needs of others, and then love will prevail and this world will be changed because that's what the world needs. The world doesn't need another political motivated law to try to fix something. Have you noticed every time man tries to fix something, something else breaks? Or they make things worse? Because we don't have the wisdom or the wherewithal. And by the way, most of the people that have the power are only concerned with keeping the power. And that has nothing to do with making your life better. It's giving you the perception that they care about you to get your vote. Amen? Amen. I don't need a political savior. I've got Jesus. And that's what James and John didn't understand here yet. They would. They would, by the way. But when Jesus says, listen, you, you don't know what you're asking me. Are you willing to drink from the cup that I have to drink? Are you willing to be baptized in what I must be baptized into? You don't even know what you're asking. But then he said, but you will. And by the way, and they did. James and John both suffered for the cause of Christ. 
holding on to him, always confessing him as their Lord, and they suffered greatly for it. But at this moment in time, they still did not yet understand. Then Jesus levels these words to them, that whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served. Think about that for a moment. Even Jesus came down out of heaven not to be served, not, to, not, you know, not for people to, 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 to fall down at his feet and do all these things for him. Jesus came himself to offer his life. As he said, a ransom for many. And so when I think about Jesus coming and I think about this time of year where we celebrate his birth, listen, to, for me to truly celebrate his coming, I must celebrate who he is. And when I celebrate who he is, it makes me want to be more like him. And listen, and in this day and age that we're living in with all that is going on, I see the need to live like Christ. And I see the need for the church to live like Christ. And that is to be a servant to all so that we may win sung to Jesus. I thought about, you know, when preachers start thinking about sermons, we start thinking about, well, three points. W.E. Sangster's book comes to mind. Sermon crafting, right? Got to have three points. But you know me, sometimes I have eight or nine. I don't care. It's all, I ain't about the numbers anyway, right? And a lot of times I, I, I buy out to, you know, I, I really come down to two things. I want to share two things with you today. I'm going to share two. Because I don't really think I'm going to have to convince you today that Jesus became a servant. What you need to ask yourself in your heart today is, are you a servant? And so I got two points for you today. And two points only. I got a two-step process of how to be like Jesus that I want to share with you. I know what you're thinking. If he's only got two points and seeing at the time it is now, we ought to get out of here early. I sincerely doubt it. But I have a few challenging questions to you first. As James and John didn't realize what they were going to encounter, they didn't, they didn't realize yet what Jesus would go through. You and I, have, we have the privilege of knowing. And you know, so often sometimes is we want position or, or, or some kind of fame, and this world has built its life on it. I mean, we've got reality TV. Have you ever... I remember when there was no reality. Remember when there was only sitcoms? And even some of those were bad, but I long for the day we didn't have, I long for the day when reality TV would, before it ever come. Because now we, we constantly watch people in turmoil and we almost applaud it. And the only reason they're making a fool out of themselves on national television and doing this stuff is because they're trying to get, well, they're trying to get famous. When was the last time you saw somebody get famous for doing something good? There's a lot of names we all know for the wrong reasons. A lot of people that have never done nothing for nobody. Unless it was 
somehow politically motivated. Now we have influencers. Do you realize these influencers are people that get paid to try products or try fashion trends and all this stuff? Influencers. They get paid to influence all their followers. That means they've got a large following on some kind of social media, whether it be Instagram or Facebook or whatever. The like, I don't even know what they are anymore. And now they got this thing called TikTok, and I don't even know what that is. And uh, I thought that's what a clock did, right? TikTok. Uh, um, remember the hickory dickory duck? The mouse ran up the clock. The clock struck three. He fell out of a tree or something. I don't know. I don't remember what that's. But now we got all these crazy things and. And so now these people who have large followings now get paid because they can influence others. And so we now have people who are influenced by other people who are famous simply because they want to be famous. But man has always had that desire, and I think that James and John kind of shows this when they asked Jesus because they had influence with Jesus. By the way, James and John were not bad guys. You would actually, if you read the Gospels, you'll find out that James and John, along with Peter, were the three closest friends of Jesus. But even those people who are close to Jesus can sometimes, we can sometimes lose our mind for a minute. That means you and I could both do that too. Sometimes even those who are close to Jesus can for a moment forget what they're doing or forget why we're doing it and lose our mind and get discouraged for a moment or get ahead of ourselves into thinking that we're something great for a moment because James and John wanted to use their influence with Jesus hey listen would you Jesus would you give us anything we ask now you know that's a loaded question I mean Jesus was God you didn't get over on him anyway but even even a normal guy with a half a brain could know see that one coming from a mile away if you come up to me and say, Huff, would you do anything I ask you to do? I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is no. I ain't getting caught in that one. My kids come up, Dad, I love you. Would you give me anything? Nope. Nope, I would not. I would not give you a black eye, but I will give you a whipping. And anything in between. And James and John, for a moment, kind of got ahead of themselves and wanted to take advantage of their, of their close relationship with Jesus. Would you grant us to when you're in your glory for us to be seated at your right hand and your left, do you realize that to them, that was the head position? The right was the most important, but then the immediate left was also important. Now, I don't know how James and John were going to figure out which one was the right and the left. I guess they would have worked that out later, but right now they just wanted a commitment to have those two positions. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes I think we get ahead of ourselves and we're like, God, but since I'm doing all this for you, can you give me this? Or God, since I've been so faithful to you, and don't you see where James and John are doing that since they have influenced Jesus? Jesus, we've been traveling a lot of miles with you. Can we ask you to do something for us? And Jesus looked at them and said, you don't realize what you're asking. Have you ever asked for something and later on been glad you didn't get it? You know what I can tell you today? You can trust Jesus. You can trust him. Don't try to use your influence over him because it doesn't work. Because Jesus loves you enough to say no to you when no is the right answer. But you can trust Jesus that if something is not good for you, 
He'll make sure you don't get it. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus says you don't understand what's about to happen. And you don't understand it's going to get rough. By the way, do I think the world's going to get rough? Yes. Is it going to get worse? Yes. Is it because of one person or another person didn't win the election? It has nothing to do with it. Because God's will is not thwarted. If God wants somebody somewhere, they'll be there. Do you understand that? Nobody got over on God. He's still on the throne. And he's still 100% in control. 100%. But God loves you so much that even through all the hostilities and stuff, he always continued to love. Here's, here's a couple challenging questions I want to challenge you with. And maybe you ought to write this down because this is not something you're going to answer today or answer in this moment. Question number one. Whose needs are you currently putting above your own? Whose needs are you currently putting above your own? Question number two. Are you giving out of your excess only? Are you giving out of your excess only? And number three, are you also giving of your time? Did you hear what Brother Kevin said this morning? I didn't prompt him to do that either. But when you're giving out presents, make sure it's about your presence. You know, a visit, a hug, and a smile. Air hug if you have to these days. Fist pump, elbow something. We live in a world where we've got more ability to communicate than we've ever had in the, before. And we're more lonely and depressed now than we've ever been. Because digital communication does not give off and radiate love. You ever had the warmth of a smile? It's hard to give that these days because I'm the idiot that smiles behind a mask, not really forgetting I'm wearing it. You ever do that? Smile and nod at somebody and you realize they can't see your smile? So I started thinking about that when I go into stores and I want to, I, I, I'm a smile nodder. I just, I like that. I just, how you doing? Just acknowledging somebody's present. Anybody ever been in a room full of people and feel alone? Is that not the loneliest feeling ever? Is that not the loneliest feeling? To be in a room full of people and feel like you don't exist? I have felt that way. I have been through moments in that way and it drove me into despair to feel like I didn't even, like I could be standing and everybody else be around me and, and, and like I, I was like I wasn't even there. And like I was all alone, even though there was people all around me. 
And sometimes I pass through stores like that. You'll see people with that look on their face. If you've ever had that feeling, then you know what it looks like. And so I'm one of them smile nodders. I'm like, how you doing? Just, just acknowledge they're there. Well, now that I have to wear a mask, you know, I'm in the stores and I realize this, that I'm the idiot that keeps smiling and nobody knows what I'm doing except for my eyes get a little wider. Because I'm fat and when you're smiling, you're fat. You, that's what happens. Right? So, it, of course, I was going to say something that was probably ethically not okay. Oh, thank God I caught that. But uh, anyway, I... Uh, only way they can tell was that a fat guy's eyes get thin that he's smiling because that's what happens to your cheeks when they push up. And so God's like, okay, so you have to wear a mask. You don't have to stop smiling. And how about you actually say a word or two, Huff? You, you're, you're always running your fat trap. Why don't you actually say something? Because I'm the guy, I'm kidding you not, you don't know me very. I'm telling you, you don't know me as well as you think you do because I'm always talking here at church. I'm either preaching or singing or doing all their stuff. Do you realize that I can literally go a whole day without hardly saying a word? If it's just me and Sal around, that we could drive for miles and not say a word and it's okay. And Sal lets me have that because that's kind of who I am inside most of the time. You don't see me as a quiet guy because you don't see that part of me, but you don't realize is that that's out of actually my comfort zone. And so you don't know how exhausted I am sometimes after events in church. And that all I want to do is just be quiet. I'm not saying anything. It's not anything bad. But it's like, Huff, how about instead of smiling, how about you actually say something? So I started trying that. People think I'm weird. But if, since they can't see my smile behind the mask, I'll just walk through. And how you doing? They look at you like this. All right. Boys, Rona, something, ain't it? And just walk away. They go crazy. It's hilarious. God's challenged me, I, you know, it's easy for you to just smile and not say enough and huff, and that's great. But what I have found is that now, I guess because people are tired and they're weary, they want to talk. And now I've been striking up conversations in stores with people I don't know that I normally wouldn't talk to. Hey, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. You hear it's calling for snow? Yeah, I heard that. It is calling for snow, ain't it? Like, yeah, I wonder how much we're going to... Of course, we're sitting here the whole time looking like Lawrence of Arabia, you know? It's like... <laughs> You know, trying to talk and have a conversation. But the thing is, is I'm selfish of my time. You see, smiling and just giving that nod and smiling was acknowledging their presence and that was great. But it didn't take any of my time. But when you say something, and they say, because when you say something, they think, okay, well, this guy might want to talk, and they want to talk, and then now you're taking up time. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in a store, I'm usually in a hurry. And he's like, Huff, did you come to serve others, or did you come to just have it your way? And so I had to ask myself, am I giving them my time? And you would think that, you know, when I add up all the church work stuff, oh, Huff gives a lot of his time. But see, there, I'm talking about this personal time that I have, this personal time that I keep to me. I'm not talking about the time when we're here on Sundays or when we're here doing events that I've already planned for. I'm talking about what about my actual personal time? 
Do I give of that? Because I found out that when I finally started actually saying things to people, they would want to say things back. And now I had to slow my roll. And if you're going to do that, you can't just say something and then walk away because at that point I should have just said anything because that's really rude. And so now it's like God is challenging me. You know, how much do you really want to serve? And if you really want to make a difference in people's lives, you're going to have to stop and slow down enough and you're going to have to see your time as my time. So I ask you, are you giving of your time? So I want to give you two steps. Two steps to serve like Jesus. Step number one to being a servant like Jesus is this. Adjust your attitude and mind to what I call the servant setting. Adjust your attitude and mind to the servant setting. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 4, says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now think about what he's saying right there. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Think about that, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How do you have this mindset? To have the mind of Christ, to have Christ indwelled inside of you, which we receive... Upon repentance, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is Christ. Remember the Godhead, these three are one. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit allows us to live. Because Jesus said that I must go away that the Comforter may come. And that he basically, the comforter, would do the ministry that Jesus had been doing with his disciples. What had he been doing with his disciples? He had been walking and teaching them. He had been leading them. He had been showing them. And Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but another is going to come from the same source. The parakletos. One from the same source. The Holy Spirit will come and continue that ministry. And so just as Jesus would walk with his disciples and as Jesus would hear in Mark chapter 10, talk to James and John and expound upon the fact that they, you know, the question they had asked him as as Jesus would reveal to them who he was, the Holy Spirit continues that work even today. And we have this mind in us, which is in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, how do we have this mindset? Is to have Christ. We truly can't live with this servant's heart. There are a lot of people that do a lot of things for a lot of other people. But at the end of the day, what is their motivation? You see, just because you do good things for people doesn't mean that you're motivated correctly. Because there are other things that may motivate us to do good things for people. But it's having this mind of Christ in which I am willing to serve even the lowest denominator of people and do so with a loving heart for no other reason than it is pleasing to God. That's the difference. It says, who through 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So there's Jesus, God, who comes down into the flesh, who is God. God in the flesh. He is fully human and yet fully God. But yet he emptied himself, the scripture says. He emptied himself. He took off that, that, that vesture, if you will, uh, of this holiness. And he came down in this form of a human and allowed himself to be, to be treated so despised by those who are walking, those people that he came to give his life for would spit upon him, would whip him, would do all unspeakable things, and yet still Jesus served at their feet and gave his life a ransom. So what is the key? What is step one to living as Jesus and being a servant? It's having the mind and attitude of Jesus that did not think of himself, even though equal, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. For me to truly live as a servant, I've got to empty myself of my desires to be whatever Huff sets in his mind sometimes that he thinks he wants to be. I've got to empty myself of selfish gain. I've got to empty myself of desire to be known and be satisfied with being known by Jesus Christ. If the God of all the universe knows my name and counts me among his, that has to be enough. And that's going to have to be enough for you. This world wants to be known for all kinds of things. We celebrate sports. We celebrate entertainers. We celebrate all these folks. And we want to be just like them. Why? So that we could have the things they have? What does celebrity in this world get us that will not burn up in fire? when Christ comes back to get us. What is it that you could gain? Jesus said, what would it be to gain the whole world only to lose your own soul? Is there something you could get in this life and have it for however many years you were on here that would be worth spending in eternity? In hell? Is there a car that cool? Is there a truck that tall? Is there a girl that hot or a boy that handsome that a few moments with those little things would be worth giving up your soul for an eternity? Does being known, is it that important to you? Does being the one to be up front, is it that important to you? 
So I'm going to tell you something. If we can't worship in solitude, if we can't worship from the cheap seats, then we can't lead from the stage. If we can't worship in solitude when nobody else is looking, then why raise our hands when others are around? If we can't lift him high when we're at our greatest low, then who are we trying to be? Jesus left the portals of glory. There was a song that was written by, um, I want to say Dottie Rambo, I think. And he left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was a lonely hill on Golgotha, where he laid down his life for me. If that is in love, then the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky, and the sparrows can't fly. If that is in love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this If that isn't love He left the splendor of heaven Knowing his destiny Was a lonely hill in Golgotha Where he laid down his life for me that is in love then nothing else matters if that isn't love there's no sense in keeping the doors open that Jesus when I look in Isaiah chapter 6 it says in the year that King Uzziah died I saw God high and lifted up in his train filled the temple and the Bible says in that chapter that when he spoke, that the post shook like thunder. And that there was these seraphims that were flying around, and they had six wings, and with two wings they covered their eyes, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they did fly around the throne of God, crying out, holy, holy, holy. And we go to Revelations, and guess what? We see the same picture of those seraphims flying around still continually yet today, crying out, holy, holy, holy. We see the elders bow down in Revelation. His glory is to him who was worthy and honored to be praised. And he would leave that praise. He would leave that place in heaven where all is pointing to him and crying out, glory, 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 and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come and is worthy of our praise. And he left that beautiful picture and was willing to come down to a place on earth. 
and not just stop there, but he would come down in the lowest form. Being willing to serve. Even you and I. If that isn't love, the mind of Christ was set and locked into servant mode. Not counting equality as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. took off that holy vesture, not off, didn't take off his holiness, but if you can imagine that, that the robe and the vesture he must have. The Bible says that eyes not seen nor ears have heard what God has in store for us, and I can't imagine how beautiful heaven must be. And he would leave that place And come down here. Not to the nicest part of town. But I'm talking straight to the hood. And walk down the worst street of the worst city. Of the worst neighborhood. And declare his love. And to the worst criminal who's done the worst things would look at them and say, I love you and I'm going to give my life for even you to the point that he asked his father to forgive the ones who drove the nails. You see, I cannot look at the manger without looking at the cross. I can't see the manger scene without the cross. I can't think of his coming without picturing the cross. Because that was his purpose for coming. Phyllis Klein says this, you can do acts of service and still not be a servant if your motivation is rooted in selfish ambition if your intended outcome is recognition, and if your ultimate purpose is to benefit yourself in some way. True servanthood begins with selflessness, maintains humility throughout, and ultimately seeks the good of others, which requires the right heart attitude. Step one is have the mind and attitude of Christ. Step two is this. Get busy getting dirty. I want you to turn over to the book of John, if you will, chapter 13. I thought of in this moment of really showing this verse 
by hiding a basin of water and doing this in real time. But honestly, I, I was fearful that it would come across as a false piety, some kind of false. I never want to come across as some kind of false humility. And so I think the word says it oh, by itself just fine. It doesn't need me. But I have to tell you what I'm getting ready to read happened to me oh, several years ago. Free Will Baptist, if you don't know anything about our denomination, Free Will Baptist, we, 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 you know, we, we teach on um, communion, and we also teach on washing of saints' feet. It's a big thing in Free Will Baptist, yet a lot of churches don't do much of it. Uh, we've done it here several different ways. My most favorite is washing the feet of your family. There's something special about a husband bowing down and getting on his knees and washing the the feet of his wife and children, and then the mother doing the same thing of showing that, you know, I'm willing to serve my family and, and do the things that are necessary and be a leader in my home and follow the, the scriptures as it is written. You know, the Bible says that we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And of course, you know, a lot of people love the verse ahead of that where it says, wives be subject unto your own husbands. Uh, but listen, I'm going to tell you something. Guys, if we get it right, it's an easy thing for them to do. And by the way, it's not serve you like, go get me a Pepsi. It's about being willing to follow you because you're the leader of your home. That's what that submission really is speaking about. It's about being willing to serve your family. And I know that's not in my notes, but listen, I, I got to tell you, it's made a difference in my life because I'm going to tell you, guys and, and, and moms and dads, when we're willing to serve our families, that's the scripture. If we're live, willing to live out the roles, listen, I don't care what the world says, there are genders for a reason. God designed it that way, and I have a role to play as a husband, and my wife has a role to play as a wife. But I'm going to tell you, when we live out the scriptures and do it in the way that God has prescribed, there is something beautiful that happens there that teaches our family and our homes, and it'll make a huge difference. But listen, it had to come down where I had to be willing to serve my family first. That's when our hearts started to change. That's when our home started to change. That's when our marriage started to change, sweetheart. It's when we were willing to start to, to, to serve one another according to the scriptures as it is written. It makes a huge difference in your lives, folks. I just got to tell you that it'll make a huge difference in your life. In John chapter 13, starting at verse 3, it's a familiar scripture I know you've heard before. But I hope that you get the picture now of what we've been talking about. Starting in verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Think about that, taking off that outer garment. That's what I was talking about, that, that robe. He took off his outer garment. There was Jesus. Jesus was their rabbi. He was their leader. Imagine me being up here, and could you, it, it's kind of like if I was a normal preacher and wore a jacket or something like this, and, and, and you had a need or something was going on, and you were out here working on something. Could you imagine me walking up with my, you know, with my suit coat on and stuff like that, and, and showing that, that preacher kind of style, and then walk up, and all of a sudden the preacher decides that he takes off his tie, and he takes off his, 
his coat and he starts rolling up his sleeves and he kneels down with you. That's kind of what's going on here. I want you to kind of think of it in that context, if you will. Jesus took off that, that outer garment, so he took off that, that nicer coat and it's kind of like rolling up your sleeves and taking your coat off and he's about ready to do something that's going to cause him to get dirty. took a towel and tied it around his waist and then he poured the water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, you wash my feet. This is the one time Peter kind of got it right. You know, Peter before is like, Peter, all these other guys will fail you, but I won't, Jesus. But Peter sees something happen at this moment. Peter's, it's almost as Peter's saying, Jesus, you would wash my feet? Shouldn't it be the other way around? I mean, Jesus, why would you, why, why would you do this? Because you see, it was the lowest servant's job to wash the feet of the guest of the house. The owner of the house didn't do it. If you come over to my house, you know, you're like, can I take your coat kind of thing? You know, it's like, this was a much different culture. They wore open-toe shoes. They walked on dusty roads. Could you imagine what their feet looked like? Looked like Sal's every summer. She never wears shoes. It's disgusting. It's awful looking. You ever see somebody's flip-flops where they done rub dirt into the flip-flop to where it's now changed the molecular structure of the flip-flops? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And you can see the spots where their toes have rubbed and then the dirt has gathered around those rings. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Imagine that. They would be walking on those dusty roads with those open-toe sandals. And they would come there, and whoever the lowest guy on the totem pole was, whoever the lowest servant of the house, it was the owner of the house, the lowest servant had the job of washing the guest's feet. Jesus was the highest guest of the house. He was God in the flesh. Everybody else should have waited on him hand and foot. But instead we see Jesus take off that outer garment, tie a towel around his waist. There he gets down on his hands and feet. When he gets to Peter, Peter's like, you're going to wash my feet. I mean, Lord, think about this. Who am I for you to be washing my feet? Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, if I do not wash you, then you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, listen, he had a, he had a moment of clarity here. The Lord, not only my feet also, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, 
but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew that one was about to betray him, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. But we have no indicator here that Jesus treated him any different. Do you think about that? Guess who else was at this dinner? You know him as Judas. Jesus says, not all of you here are clean. But Jesus was still knelt down at his feet, washing. Jesus didn't wash their feet because they deserved it. He washed their feet out of love and love alone. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to him, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Could you imagine the king of glory coming down out of his place out of heaven? Kneeling down at your dirty old feet. I don't know about you, but I don't wear sandals. But I wear nice hot socks and my feet are nasty. I remember my mother setting my shoes outside when I was a teenager. Because she figured it would ward off all kind of animals and wildlife. <laughs> because anything that stunk that bad ought to scare even bears, she said. Disgusting. But yet Jesus, Jesus would take a knee at your feet. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the king of glory just kneeling down at your feet? Huff, give me your foot. You're dirty. But I love you, son. And I would leave all of heaven to come down and give my life for you. Because I love you. And he says, if I do that for you, you ought to do that for each other. And he says, whatever we do to the least, of them we do for him. Whose needs are you serving other than yourselves? I'm not just talking about buying some dinners. I'm talking about real needs, not just food, but needs of love, compassion, time spent, a hug, 
kind word, a card. Maybe change a tire on a car. I don't know what it is. But God's calling you to do something. A lot of people see a baby laid in a manger this time of year. I see a servant on a cross with his arms spread wide saying, I love you even to the least, even to the meanest, most violent. Jesus says, I love you. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you're here today and you've never felt like anyone's loved you. I want to tell you today, do not leave here believing that lie anymore. Because Jesus has proven his love to us. My, one of my favorite verses, Romans 5, 8 says, For God committed his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loves you. He absolutely adores you. He thinks you're beautiful exactly the way you are. He didn't die for you because he needed to. He died for you because he wanted to. He doesn't want to connect with you right now because he's desperate and in need of a friend. He wants to connect you right now because he gave his life for you. And he doesn't want to see your life wasted in vain. Or maybe you're here. And maybe you've been serving God and you've been, you've been giving and you've been sacrificing and you're tired. I get that way sometimes. You see, this scripture made me take a check up from the neck up where I had to ask, Huff, are you being real? Are you loving to love because I've called you to love? Or are you loving looking for certain results to make yourself think that you're successful? If you are obedient to me, you're successful, and that's all it takes. So why are you frustrated? Why are you so tired and wore out? Why do you feel like you've given all you can give when the fact is you still have more than most? Maybe you're frustrated because others around you don't give the same. Maybe you're frustrated because others around you don't see it the same. Continue to love. Second Peter tells us about story of, or not a story, it says for wives to, to live in such a way that your husbands may be won by your conduct. That's applicable to husbands too. 
But I have to tell you, there was a time in my house where there was a whole lot of love going on, but it was only one-sided. And I remember getting so mad that my wife went to the pastor at the time, who was a friend of mine, and his wife, and asked them to pray for us, to pray for her. I was unbearable, I was mean, I was done. She just, she wasn't ready to give up. And she received some good counsel from that pastor. They said to keep loving him like the Bible says. Because that kind of love makes a difference. That kind of love changes hearts. That kind of love will win. And I'm thankful that I'm here today because... I had a wife that believed in that scripture and was told that scripture. Also witnessed it in my home. My mom lived in such a way before my dad that she showed him Christ even when he was unlovable. Maybe you're frustrated and tired. Maybe today you just need to hear don't give up. Continue to love. Continue to serve. Or maybe you're here and you're just like, Huff, I need to know my purpose. I, you know, I, I want to live in a way that's pleasing to God. How do I do that? Serve. There's a lot of ways to serve. If I don't have much, it don't take much. Just make sure you don't settle out and give less than what you can. I'm going to tell you, I've witnessed just as of recent people that are hurting to great depths and yet see somebody else hurting and try to help them. Listen, that's Christ's love. That's what it means to serve. Is not using your hurt as an excuse to not help someone else who is hurting. But instead, say, you know what? Even in my hurt, I'll help you as you hurt. You know, I had some other things and some other notes, but I just want to pray for you. Brother Brian's going to pray something softly. If you have something to pray about and you would like us to pray with you, then the altar is open. We'd love to pray with you if you want to come.